Lord in prayer together. Without faith, it is impossible to please you, Heavenly Father. You tell us this, and how miserable we would be if you did not also teach us what faith is and what it is not. What kind of faith does and does not please you. But you do tell us in your word. You teach us, you show us. And as so often, what you say in your word cuts directly across what we think, what our age assumes, what we imagine that we know, but we don't really know until we know what you say. So today, as we hear what you say, open our ears and open our hearts to hear you speak in your word with the full power and ministry of the Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this sermon today, titled, What is Faith?, arguably should have been the first sermon. Why wasn't it the first sermon? Well, I could play the recovering from surgery card, uh, and that would work. But the truth of the matter is, I have to make a confession. Um, I am very afraid of being seen as repeating myself. Now, I want you to understand, I don't have any trouble with repeating myself. If you're learning something and it's being a difficult subject to grasp and you need me to say it over, you need me to say it different ways, if you need me to say it five times, 50 times, 500 times, I am perfectly okay with that. I love people who want to learn. I'm, I'm excited and energized by people who want to learn. I'm happy to say something over and over. I've had to hear just about everything over and over to grasp it. Uh, people who think they know everything already, that kind of kills me. But if you want to learn, I'm there for you. No, what I, what I fear is being seen as repeating myself. I, I fear ever giving anyone a reason to think, Pastor Dan has run out of things to say. So he's broken recording because either he didn't prepare for the sermon or he just has run out of things to say. My dear brother and sister, as long as I'm teaching you the word of God, I will never run out of things to say. <laughs> My late father used to say to me, I said a couple of times decades ago, you know, it just amazes me that you're able to get up every week and have something to say. And I said, oh, dad, I said, the Bible is so alive and so powerful and so rich. My trouble is never having something to say. My trouble is stopping. See, now I heard that amen and... Uh, now you say, man, that's fine. But at any rate, uh, no, that's never, it's never a problem. The Word of God is full. And uh, in this case, however, I have defined faith in the past, and so I didn't think to start there. I thought to start with Hebrews 11, which is not a definition of faith. But if somebody pointed out to me, you never did define faith. Well, no, I was teaching how Hebrews 11 describes faith, shows what faith does for us, is not a definition. But yes, it probably would have been better to make the first sermon a definition of faith. So that's what we're doing today. And the reason why we've taken this step aside temporarily from the Gospel of Matthew into this specifically is I see this as so very important. I see in our congregation, it just seems as if heavy blows are, fast, are, are falling fast and furious, even among the people in our congregation. And of course, if you look at society, the, 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 the liberties and the assumabilities that many of us grew up with, they're just not there anymore. They're vanishing day by day. We're headed for dark, difficult times. And I believe that God is preparing us 
to be a witness in those times. And there is no more important thing than to understand what faith means to be sure that we have true, saving, biblical faith and to see what faith is and does, how to live by it, how to grow in it. So that's what we're doing in this series. Focusing then today on saving faith, not faith in the abstract, but saving biblical faith. That's our focus. Let's look first together and learn that faith starts with recognizing God's witness to Christ. And all of these three points we will find in the reading from Romans 10 today. Uh, this one you can see in Romans 10:14, as I will show you. I just uh, cite, translate it from Greek. How then will they call upon the one in whom or into whom they did not believe? And how will they believe? How may they believe him whom they have not heard of? And how will they hear without one preaching? So let's look together at Romans chapter 10, because I'd like to trace the thought and show why this is so relevant specifically to what we're looking at today. Now turn in your Bible, because I want to start with verse 1, and then we'll take over in verse 4 with the legacy standard Bible translation I've given you in your outlines. Now Romans 9 through 10, Paul, uh, 9 through 11, Paul is dealing with the question of why has Israel not believed? The long-promised Messiah has come to Israel. Israel was prepared for him, and when he came, they rejected him. Why? Why is that? And Paul is talking about that in these chapters. So notice that he says, he has a, verse 1, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, for Israel, is that they may be saved. So this is the thought in his mind. Salvation. Coming from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God, from death to life, that they may be saved. Verse 2, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They had a religious faith. They had a religious faith that motivated them, that filled their days. They had zeal for God, which cannot be said of many. What was wrong with it? Well, Paul says it's not according to knowledge, or more literally from the Greek, that, that word is a true knowledge, a, a precise knowledge, real knowledge. They thought they knew, but they didn't know. Their zeal was full, fueled by deception, by false ideas. So he goes on in verse four, 3, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God, God's way of being right in his eyes, and seeking to establish their own, that is their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Well, what is that righteousness? Verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And we can go over to the translation in your outline. Christ is the end of the law. He's the culmination of the law. He is the one to whom the law led, and he's the one at whom it ends because it's fulfilled in him and by him for everyone who believes. So they lack salvation. Why? Because they didn't have real knowledge. And what's the issue? They didn't believe. When the gospel of Christ came, they didn't believe. Now, their system and their misunderstanding of it is the problem. Verse 5, Moses writes about the righteousness which is of law. The man who does these things shall live by them. The law says do, and none of us does. But that's what they thought they could do. But the righteousness of faith is a matter of a word believed and confessed, Paul says. Verse uh, 8 
But what does, this, what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we, are pre- that we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The righteousness of faith is a matter of done. What Christ has done, not do as the law bids to do. It's a matter of faith. There, that, that keeps coming up in here. Faith. And so... Uh, Verse 10, he says, with the heart a person believes leading to righteousness and with the mouth he confesses leading to salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes upon him will not be put to shame. And I remind you that the Greek words for faith and believe, they're the same word. Uh, Faith, the noun, pistis. Faith, the verb, pistuo. You hear the sound alike, pistis, pistuo. But we use two words, but It's faith and to have faith, or belief and to exercise belief. It's the same idea, not two different ideas. And so he says, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. And that phrase, that verb call on, occurs three times now in verses 12 and 13 and 14. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So there's the theme of salvation. They lack salvation. How can you have salvation? Well, you call on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. Oh, but then here he now asks four how questions about that calling on the name of the Lord. And this takes us right to the heart of it. Verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? Well, good question. This calling is a calling of faith. Not just a formal external, Lord Jesus, save me but a confession fueled by heart faith. Second question, how will they believe in in Him whom they've not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they're sent? So faith is impossible without the Word. Saving calling on Christ is impossible without faith. Faith is impossible without the Word. And so verse 17 says, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. Well, there really is everything that I'm going to say, but I do need to open it up and will open it up for you more. The first step then that I want us to see together is saving faith starts with recognizing God's witness to Christ, as Romans 10.14 says. Why do I use the word witness? Turn to 1 John 5. This is important that we see together. That's towards the end of your Bible. And when I say turn to, I really would encourage you to do that. It's good to put your eyes on God's word That helps us put it in our memory, in our hearts. 1 John chapter 5, and focus on verses 9 and 10 with me. 1 John 5, 9 then. If we receive the testimony of men, testimony you could translate witness. ESV says testimony, NAS says witness. For if we receive, I'll just put that in. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God that He has borne concerning His Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the witness in Himself. Whoever does not believe God has made Him a liar because He has not believed in the witness that God has borne concerning His Son. Now we looked at this last week, but we bring it into focus this week. All, whenever we talk about faith in the Bible and saving faith, the focus is God's witness, which is to say His Word. His Word is His witness. The Word is God's testimony. It's not the musings of a bunch of people who had time enough to think about religion. It's not the philosophizing of thinkers and sages. It is not a 
up from down thing at all. It doesn't start with us and come from us. It is a down from up thing. It is God revealing Himself, bearing testimony. Every word of Scripture, every affirmation of Scripture is as if God were on the stand saying, I swear this is true. And specifically, God has borne witness to His Son. He did it by prophecy. He did it at the baptism. He did it on many occasions. And He certainly did it when? When He raised Him from the dead. God testifies to Christ. And so when the Gospel comes to us, it's not just another religious idea. It's not just another way of many. It is the witness of God. It is God's sworn testimony. And so if we reject that testimony, it's not just a matter of, oh, well, you do you. Everybody needs to find his own path. No. When we reject that, we're rejecting God's witness. And if you reject anyone's witness, somebody testifies and you say, I don't believe that. What are you saying to that person? You're a liar. And when we reject God's witness, what are we saying to God? Well, you're a liar. And that's a bad place to be. Uh, For us, not for Him. So, this is why I say it starts with recognizing God's witness to Christ. The Bible is God's witness to Christ. So let me use a little analogy to help you picture, and I will use this for each of the three points. I want you to picture a bus... And like buses usually do, it has its destination on it. Uh, what, what, what would be your favorite place in North America to go? Just give me a few. What would be your favorite place to go? Huh? Didn't make that out. What would be your favorite place to go? Name a city. Huh? Gatlinburg. Okay, yeah, yeah. Gatlinburg. Sorry. Uh, must have gotten lost in the rafters between you and me. Gatlinburg, okay. So let's, let's take that. That's fine. It says Gatlinburg. You really want to go to Gatlinburg. You're not in Gatlinburg. You need to get from here to there. So what's the first thing you, uh, in this process? Well, you see a bus, and you see that it says Gatlinburg. And you understand what that means. That's this point. It is just the bare presentation of the facts. You see the bus, you know what it is, you know what it does, you know what it claims that it's doing, that's recognizing. And so at this stage of coming to saving faith, it is the simple fact of hearing what the Bible says, hearing what God's witness to Christ is, knowing that Christ witnesses, that Christ, pardon me, that God the Father witnesses that Christ is God the Son, becoming man for our salvation, that He is God the Son, that He is Lord. That He's the only Savior and He's the sufficient Savior. These are the witnesses of God. And this is the first part. There is no saving faith without knowing the information, the claims to truth, that we're being called to believe. Now everything I say to you is something that a lot of people just don't know and understand. So it's very important for us to get it and understand it. So you've got that bus that says it's going to Gatlinburg. Okay, that's a good start. But there's more. Let's return to saving faith, though. We've got to understand, listen, faith starts with knowledge. There is no saving faith without knowledge. And you you think, well, then I'm sunk because I'm not that bright. Has nothing to do with IQ. Has nothing to do with education level. Many, many highly educated people are not even here. Many, many ill-educated people, we would say, are absolutely here and could preach a good sermon on this. Nothing to do with IQ. Nothing to do with formal education. And uh, having an educated mind in itself is no enemy to this. Uh, It's the arrogance 
and the delusion that comes with higher education so often. But in that case, it's not education that's the problem. It's delusion and pride. And delusion and pride can get us at any level <laughs> of education or of IQ. But I want you to understand then and understand very clearly that it is for, to come to saving faith, it's important that we pre be presented with the facts, whether we're reading the Bible itself or someone is telling us what the Bible says. We need to be presented with the facts. Saving faith rests on propositions. What's a proposition? It's a statement of faith that you propose is true. I propose to say that God exists and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. I propose to believe that there's only one God and He reveals Himself in Scripture. I propose to believe that this one God eternally exists in three distinct persons. And on and on. That is to say, I propose to believe everything the Bible teaches. Everything the Bible affirms. And this is necessary for faith. We're not animals. We don't go by instinct. We're not walking glands, although some people live as if they were. We're not robots who are just fed uh, data, and it's not important that we understand it. I mean, you could say, well, my computer's a whole lot smarter than I am because it knows more than I. Actually, my computer doesn't know anything. My computer just contains data. And yes, it contains a lot more than my brain does, but it doesn't think about it. It doesn't reflect on it. It has no thoughts or valuation of it. That's a human trait. That's part of being created in God's image. And so, uh, since we're not animals, we're not machines, we're not glands, it is part of the image of God that to bring us to a relationship with God through faith, it needs to start with knowledge. We need to start by knowing what Scripture says. And this is reflected in the Bible in all the times we say, many ways, but in all the times we read in the Bible that we must believe that something that it's important that we believe that something is true. I'll just lift a couple. Let me read to you, because you probably know it. First John, uh, sorry, Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 31, where he does us the great favor of telling us why he wrote his Gospel. Why did he write his Gospel? He says that there are many things that Jesus did that could have been written. Uh, the earth couldn't contain all those books. But verse 31, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. You say, well, I want to have life in His name, but I don't want to confine myself to the narrow belief that Jesus is the Christ. Yes, well, then you can't have life in His name. Because the condition is that we believe that Jesus is the Christ. This is a proposition. This is a statement of truth. It is either true or untrue. Jesus either is the prophesied prophet, priest, king, or he's not. And it's John's proposal that he is. And he writes his gospel to show that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We must know that truth. We've got to be aware of that claim or we can never come to saving faith. I'll give you another. 1 John 5, 1. 1 John 5, 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. So how do you know if someone has been born again? He believes that Jesus is the Christ. Someone says, I'm a born again Christian. I just don't believe that Jesus is the Christ. Or I don't believe He took on human nature. Well, then you've not been born again. A sign of being regenerate, of receiving life from God, is believing that Jesus is the Christ. 
So, it is essential to faith that we have knowledge. It's essential with faith, to faith that we uh, have the facts presented to us. And Christianity is not like some religion where we say, I'll tell you some things now, but only after you sign the contract will I tell you the rest of what Christians believe. You, then you'll have the secret ceremony and then we'll, 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 we'll initiate you into the secrets of our order. Now, there's no secrets. It's, it's all in Scripture. And once you profess faith, once you come to faith in Christ, I'll take you aside and I'll tell you it's all there. It's all there. It was there before and it's there now. And as a pastor, the special things I have to tell you, they're all there. I got no special things. It's in God's word. And we believe it or we don't. But we, we have to start with knowing what it says. So that means we've got to reject any idea that it doesn't matter what somebody believes so long as he's mature, uh, is sincere. How many times have you heard that? And I would ask you this second question. How many times have you heard that? And in what possible area of life would that be taken seriously other than religion? Do, do you, you go to a restaurant and the cook is going to cook and somebody tells you, by the way, the cook has some unorthodox thoughts about what foods are and are not poison, but he's absolutely sincere in his thoughts. Are you going to sit down and eat? I bet you won't. <laughs> and you take it for surgery or medicine or whatever. In any other field, somebody says this, you're going to say, we're done. But when somebody talks about, here, I like to talk about issues of infinite importance that will affect the entire rest of your eternity. Oh, sure, I'm good with that, just as long as you're sincere. It's simply because we don't want to think about it. Because we know in our hearts the gospel's true and we don't want to believe it. Romans 1 says that. That we know God, but we don't glorify Him or thank Him. We suppress that knowledge. So, at any rate, this causes, forces us to reject the ridiculous idea that it doesn't matter what somebody believes as long as he's, as he's sincere. And it also forces us to reject the idea that faith is what you use when you don't know anything. Well, we don't really know anything, we just have to believe. Uh, impossible. It's impossible to have faith. Biblical saving faith without having knowledge. There is no biblical faith without knowledge. Uh, it's not the, a synonym for knowledge, but it is not exclusive for knowledge. In fact, it starts with knowledge. So there's no such thing as an empty faith that's a saving faith. There's no such thing as being saved by ignorance. Oh, well, I just don't bother myself with these big questions and doctrine and all that. I just know I'm going to heaven. Well, no, you don't know that if you don't know what the Bible teaches and believe it. So uh, it all starts uh, with knowledge of facts. And, and one other thing that it cautions against that I've seen some do in the name of Christianity, which is just urge people to believe. Just believe. As if that is self-explanatory. And I would hope that every one of you, if somebody were to come up to you and say, do you believe? Your first question would be, believe what? <laughs> Depends. <laughs> believe what? Everything the Bible says? Yes. But that is necessary. Uh, you, don't call, you don't come to someone and just tell him, and, and this is something that has been done. It was popular in the 70s because there was a lot of uh, uh, muzzy mystical thinking in the 70s to just help people to believe in Christ, just take a leap into the dark, just commit themselves, just decide. Just call him, just pray, give him a try. That is not biblical evangelism. That's not biblical faith. 
Biblical evangelism is always urging someone to faith, and faith always requires what? Knowledge. Recognizing God's witness about Christ. So, knowledge is necessary, but I want to hasten to say that knowledge is not enough. What does uh, Jesus talk about in Matthew 7.21? Matthew 7.21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But isn't it true that he's Lord, Lord? Yes, it is. These people evidently know that he should be called Lord, Lord. Yes, they do. Do they have saving faith? No, they don't. Depart from me, I never knew you. So it's not enough just to know the facts. Uh, James 2.19, is, is, you can use this for a couple of these points, but uh, James asks, you believe that God is one? Great. Then what does he say? The demons also believe and they tremble. Do the demons know there's only one God? They absolutely do. But they're still demons. They're still demons. And a great many people who pride themselves on knowing a lot about Christianity are no more saved than the demons are. Knowledge doesn't save. Knowledge alone is not saving faith. It's absolutely necessary, but by itself, it's absolutely insufficient. The second necessary aspect of biblical saving faith is that knowledge, recognizing God's witness about Christ grows to realizing the truth of God's witness to Christ. It grows to realizing the truth of God's witness to Christ. And we see that in Romans 10.9. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Well, so we've got to know that he claimed to be Lord and that God calls him Lord in Scripture. We've got to know that. We've got to know those facts. And we've got to know that he was reported to rise from the dead. But that's, that knowledge is not enough. We must believe that he actually is Lord and that he actually did rise from the dead. That those are statements which reflect reality. That Jesus not only is said to be Lord, but actually is Lord. That Jesus is not merely said to have risen from the grave, but there was a day when Jesus was dead and cold and buried, and the next day the tomb was empty and Jesus was alive forevermore. That this actually happened on this same planet where we ate dinner last night. That same planet witnessed the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. We need to believe that it's true. Knowing the claims is where we need to start. But we also need to believe the claims are true. There are a great many biblical scholars. I could name Rudolf Bultmann and, and others who know a lot about what the Bible teaches and they could tell you a lot about what the Bible teaches and don't believe a word of it to be true. They know it says Jesus rose from the grave, but they don't believe that happened. They know it says that he was born of a virgin, but they don't believe he was born of a virgin. So there's, they got maybe the step one, but they don't get the second. I don't want to say steps. Uh, the first aspect but they don't have the second aspect. They don't realize the truth. So let's go to our bus analogy, okay? You know that's a bus. You know what a bus is. You know it says Gatlinburg, and you know where that is, and you want to go there. But not only that, you believe that that bus is a functional bus and really is going to Gatlinburg. And you believe that were you to get on that bus, it would take you to Gatlinburg. Do you see the difference? So you've started by realizing this is a bus. And what a bus is and does, 
and what it means that it says Gatlinburg on the front. But now you actually believe that's not a hoax. It's not a way to, to trap you into the sex trade and take you down across some border but that it actually will take you to Gatlinburg and it actually is a functioning bus. You realize the truth of God's statement. And, and these are, uh, this is reflected, uh, for instance, in Romans 10.9, believing that God raised him from the dead, that's actually true. Believing that Jesus is Lord, that's actually true. It's, rec- it's reflected in ver- the many verses that talk about uh, believing a person or believing a statement like, John 5, 24. We're going to spend a little time in John, so turn there with me. The Gospel of John. And please do turn there. Gospel of John, chapter 5, and verse 24. This is a a really, really powerful chapter. We're lifting out a couple of powerful statements. Jesus is having a a confrontation with uh, disbelieving Jews. Uh, Jewish leaders particularly. And so note in verse 24, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Now elsewhere, Jesus says the words he speaks are the words God gives him to speak. So when we hear Jesus' words, he says, we're hearing the words of God. And so he says, if you hear my word, which acquaints you with the facts, and you believe God, then you have eternal life. That is, you trust God. You, you, that it, now let me say, not, not say trust. At this point, let me simply say that you believe that you believe God. What he says is true. Jesus is saying what God says, so you believe that the statements are true. Because you believe God. You believe that he's speaking the truth. Uh, Look at verses 46 and 47. He says, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Now that's very, very powerful. They didn't believe Jesus because they didn't believe Moses. But wait, you say they all thought they did believe Moses. They all would have said they did, that they believed Moses. But here's where you need to remember Romans 10.2. What did Romans 10.2 say? I bear witness of the Jews that they have zeal for God. But then what does he say? Not according to knowledge. They're zealous, but it is a deluded zeal. It's a deceived zeal. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Well, you think you believe Moses, but you don't even understand what he said. If you understood what he said and believed him, you'd believe me because he wrote about me. His writings pointed forward to me. If you believed him, you'd believe his words. If you believed his words, you'd believe me. See, this is accepting the statements to be true, and they don't. Now, it's important to see this. They would have insisted that they did, but God says they don't. Our self-diagnosis is always wrong. God's diagnosis of us is always right. And here he says they didn't really believe them. And, and even this, though, it is necessary to know the facts. It's necessary to believe that the statements are true. To know what God witnesses about Christ and to believe that the witness he gives is a true witness. And uh, I just want to, I need to point out to you that even that all by itself, is not sufficient. There will be many people in hell who knew what the Bible taught, who thought that the Bible taught the truth, 
but did not have saving biblical faith. You can see that right here. Just back up a little bit. John chapter 5. Turn to ver- uh, look at verse uh, 39. And Jesus says, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. They're convinced the Scriptures are the Word of God and they think that it will give them eternal life. But He says, And yet it is they that bear witness about Me, yet you refuse to come to Me that you may have life. So they know things about the Scripture. They believe true things about the Scripture. But there's still something lacking. and They don't have eternal life. You don't come to Me, He says, that you might have eternal life. You don't come to Me. And again, go back to James 2.19 in your mind. The demons know there's one God. They even tremble at the knowledge that there's one God a lot more than many people do. It doesn't, it doesn't even worry them. They don't even stop to think seriously about it. And yet still, that is not saving faith. Knowledge alone is not. Even conviction that the, the Bible teaches the truth, or I should say a belief, a conviction works, yeah, that the Bible is the truth. Absolutely necessary, but by itself insufficient. Uh, there's a place in Acts chapter 26, verse 27. Uh, Paul is born witness before King Agrippa. And he says something really interesting here. You've got to stop and think slowly about it. Acts 26, 27. He says, do you believe, King Agrippa, the prophets? I know that you do believe. Now, do you think Paul is saying, I know that you're saved? No, he's not. And yet he says he believes. What's he saying? He's saying Agrippa knows what the prophets teach. He's saying Agrippa even believes that these are words of God. He believes, but he doesn't believe. And what does that mean? Well, that's what we're going to see in the third. Because a saving faith must begin with with recognizing God's witness about Christ. And then it grows to realizing the truth of God's witness to Christ. But it culminates, number three, in resting on the Christ of God's witness. That is to say, resting on Jesus Christ as God bears witness to Him. Not just resting on anything we like to say is Jesus Christ. Well, I like to believe that Jesus is this and that and the other thing. You do? I like to believe I don't ever have to pay taxes again. But that's not true. I like to believe that Bluebell and Popeye's fried chicken are health foods, but it's not true. Maybe health for the soul, but not health for the body. It's not true. And again, we know that in every other area, but when it comes to eternal things, we think that just because we like a thought, that's good enough to bet eternity on. And that's not what we're talking about. That's not biblical saving faith. No, number three, it culminates in resting on the Christ of God's witness. The Christ to whom God bears witness in the whole of Scripture. Romans 10, 11. For the Scripture says, everyone who... I'm going to translate this literally. I'm looking at the Greek text. I'll just translate this literally. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes upon Him is not brought down in shame. Will not be brought down in shame. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes upon Him will not be brought down in shame. Okay, so let's go back to the bus. 
We've seen it's a bus. We know what a bus is. We've seen it says Gatlinburg. We know what that means. We've come to believe it is indeed a bus. It's a functional bus. And if we get on it, it's going to take us to Gatlinburg. So what do we need to do now? Get on the bus and go to Gatlinburg. Right? That's what it takes. But you've got to start with knowing what a bus is. If I say to you, go catch the bus to Gatlinburg, and you go and you say, I have no idea what a bus is, though. <laughs> I see all these things. Is that, that looks like a tree, but it could be a bus. No, you've got to know what a bus is. And you've got to know what, it's, what, it, what it is for. But you want to go to Gatlinburg, you've got to get on the bus and let it take you to Gatlinburg. And that's exactly what we're talking about here. As the the great theologian John Murray said, faith is knowledge passing into conviction, and it is conviction passing into confidence. It is knowledge passing into conviction, and it is conviction passing into confidence. To use the words I use, it is recognition of the facts passing, growing into realization of the truth of the facts, growing into resting on the truths of those facts. And Murray further says, the specific character of faith is that it looks away from itself and finds its whole interest and object in Christ. He is the absorbing preoccupation of faith. Now this is the very important point about this. That we learned about Christ in the statement of who He is in Scripture. We came to believe that those statements are true and that's what we need, but now we rest on those truths. We lean on them. We embrace them. We turn our back on what we trusted in before and turn towards trusting on the Christ who those truths. And those truths state a great many things, but those things are like so many spokes irradiating from the hub that is Jesus Christ. All those facts point us to a person, a personal relationship. Well, you say, well, why didn't I say that? You, when you start with that, just a personal relationship with Christ. So I just go into a dark room and say, Jesus, whoever you are, I want to know you. Uh, well, if that's what you think, then you kind of missed all the rest of the sermon before this point. How will they call on him of whom they've never heard? Paul asks. We've got to know who Jesus is to believe in him. But knowing who he is, and even believing that what the Bible says is true about him is simply to lead us to the point of trusting ourselves to him personally. Not just to doctrines, but to the Christ whom those doctrines describe. The person of Jesus Christ. The focus of saving faith is not at all about affirming me. Affirming my feelings. Affirming my experiences affirming my opinions and my judgments. That's not saving faith. What is saving faith about? It's all about, not me, but Christ. It's all about Christ. It's all about embracing Him in His truth, His beauty, His sufficiency, His authority, His reality. That's what saving faith is. It is all about the person of Jesus Christ. And this is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, I believe verse 5, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord and ourselves as your servants. And you listen to a great many sermons and they're all about the preacher. 
and his experiences and his thoughts and his ideas. That's not gospel preaching. That's not godly preaching. That's not faith-building preaching. We preach Christ. We preach Christ because what saves is not the facts alone. What saves is not even the conviction that the facts are true. What saves? Jesus saves. And we trust on the Jesus whom the facts describe and whose description we believe to be true, leading us then to trust Him, to embrace Him, to accept Him, to rest upon Him. And that's reflected in a great many scriptures in a great many ways. One of them is Romans, uh, the, the verse that I read. Now let me come back and tell you why I translated it so literally. Uh, Romans <clears throat> ten eleven, For the scripture says, everyone who believes upon Him. Now, do you see the mental image of that? There, everyone who rests his faith upon Him. My faith doesn't rest on my reasoning or my judgment. It doesn't rest on a church's statement or dogma. It doesn't rest on the, the, the cold experiences of religious minds. It rests on Him, on Jesus Christ, whom the facts describe, which facts I believe to be true, so I rest on Him. I rest my faith on Him. Everything rises or falls with the person of Jesus Christ. And he being the rock of ages, he being the way and the truth and the life, it will rise. That is the only safe place to repose our faith. And other scriptures say similarly, uh, Romans 10, 14, how then will they call in the one into whom very literally they've not believed? That's another preposition that describes this. One is a number of verses that talk about believing upon Jesus. Another is a number of scriptures that talk about, very literally, believing into Jesus with the, the pregnant idea that in my faith, I actually enter a relationship with Him. I actually contact Him. I actually am joined to Him by this faith. So, Romans 10.14, Therefore, how will they call upon Him into whom they believe and how will they believe if they, of him of whom they've not heard? And how will they hear without one proclaiming? So I need to hear about him. I need to accept the testimony as true. But that leads me to believe into him. To actually embrace him by, by saving faith. And it's also seen in a verse you all know, but maybe never knew that this is in it. Y'all know this verse. Uh, John 3.16. But let me translate it literally. Uh, looking at the Greek. For thus did God love the world that His Son, the only begotten, He gave in order that everyone who believes into Him not perish, but have life everlasting. Not just a matter of intellectual knowledge about Christ. Not just a matter of believing certain statements about Christ, but a matter of believing into Christ Himself. And then another verse that you, a great many of you know, Acts 16.31 the jailer says, what must I do to be saved? And they answer very literally, believe upon the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Now you King Jamesers are feeling vindicated because it says believe on the Lord Jesus. Well, that, that's a good way to put it. Believe on him. Believe upon him. Believe, rest your faith on the person of Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You see, this takes us into an actual embrace of Christ. Not only those sorts of statements, but the, the various images and, and, passages and passages in Scripture that take us beyond a mere intellectual knowledge to a real involvement in Christ. 
Like, for instance, John 6.44, where Jesus says uh, that no man can come to me except the Father draw him. Now, negatively, that teaches that God draws only the elect, but positively, it teaches that the way God saves his elect is that he draws them to Christ. They come to Christ, actually come to encounter him through saving faith that rests on facts, believed is true, and leads to embracing him, coming to him. You see, that's the picture. You can't do that from a a, a distance. I say to you, hey, uh, come over here, I'd like to talk to you. And you say, no, I'm good where I am. Well, then you're not coming to me. And Jesus calls us to come to him. And God, when he saves a person, brings him to Christ. That's the image here. That's what this resting faith is. Or to take his very vivid image that was so very offensive to his, his peers when he talks in John six thirty two to 58 about what's the image? Eating his flesh and drinking his blood. But if you read the whole passage, you'll see he explains that he means by that believing in him and coming to him. But the image is eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Can you do that from a distance? Well, no, you can't. It is just to put in the most arresting, inescapable way possible that there's no salvation without coming to Jesus himself, without a relationship with Jesus himself. Such a relationship that rests on what God says about him, accepts those statements as true, and believes in Jesus Christ embraces Jesus Christ personally. I'd like you to see this painted out as, as Paul does in Philippians chapter 3 because without using these exact words, he shows us what this aspect of faith meant for him. So turn to Philippians chapter 3, please. I'd like you to be looking at that while we talk about it. Wonderful little letter, of course. But in Philippians chapter 3, He warns in verse 2 against the legalizers who want to put them again under the the yoke of of bondage to the law of Moses. And he says uh, in verse 3, we're the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God, glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. And he wants to make sure that we understand what it means to put no confidence in the flesh. And let me just add to you, that that's the negative side of the positive thing I'm talking about now. To rest in Jesus Christ, to rest on him, is, involves, requires putting no confidence in the flesh. So let's get on with his description of it, because he says, and he says this in kind of a a witty way, to pierce their conscience, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, I'm not saying this because I'm jealous. I don't have what they have. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, well, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So you see, he paints out the reasons he could have had for fleshly confidence. A person today might say, brought up by fine parents who uh, remain together, educated in the finest uh, institutions, hired by Fortune 500 firms, whatever that exactly means, and all these things that are to my, I'm a member of this society, I give money to that, I'm a philanthropist, on and on and on. And what does Paul say next? 
verses 7 through 8, you see a complete renunciation of that. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He doesn't merely say, I decided wasn't that great. He says, I decided that was something I was well without. Something that needed to go overboard. Something that needed to be thrown into the deep. For what reason? For the sake of Christ. It's not that he came to dislike these um, pedigrees in themselves. He didn't. But when he saw Christ, they didn't look so good. When he saw Christ, they all looked totally different. Well, how did they look? We'll read verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So first he says, I count everything as loss. Everything that isn't a matter of knowing Christ to me, I count it as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And I count them as rubbish. Now this Greek word translate rubbish, scubalon, I would translate dung in all likelihood, as many translations do. And so you see what he thought were gold shining pieces to put up on the mantle. He now sees, and, and I'll be a little mm, rustic as Paul is, he sees it like one might see what he just flushed down the toilet. Does one have a sentimental attachment to one just flushed down the toilet? Do you dream about that and talk to your friends about it? Maybe, well, all right, I'm going to stop there. But, but, but I'm, I'm only going there not, not, to, not to be cute or to, or to be shocking, but because Paul goes there, and it's important to see this. All these things that were his points of pride, they're flushed and gone and well-rid, and he doesn't go back to them and ah, sigh about those great days. No. And, and what is it that moves him to do that again? Because he convinced himself that they weren't good? No, no, not at all. It's Christ that did that. It's the truth about Christ. The facts believed as true and seen in the true person of Christ. And go back and see that. I want you to see that. Verse 7, I count it as lost for the sake of Christ. In verse 8 again, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake, for whom I suffered the loss of all things. And don't feel sorry for me. I'm well rid of them in order that I may gain Christ and be, now look, verse 9, and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that all these pedigrees were about, but that which comes through faith. Oh, there it is, faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith that I might know him. I'll just drop off there. See, it's all, what have I said? It's all about Christ. And so faith, saving faith in Christ involves then renouncing all the, the fleshly confidences we had and counting them as dung, turning from them and embracing Jesus Christ in the conviction that he's surpassing worth, that knowing him is excellent, that knowing him is better than anything we thought we had before him. So you see, it's not a pitiful, sad thing. It's a wonderful, great thing. We haven't given up great treasures for a also great treasure, We've given up things that are trinkets and plastic and worse for the real treasure. The man who finds the treasure in the field doesn't feel sorry for himself when he sells everything he has that he can have that treasure. Amen? And that's Christ. 
Christ is that treasure. Faith brings us to him, and saving faith leads us to rest on him, to embrace him. And that involves both the negative and the positive aspect. The negative aspect, Paul describes as suffering the loss of all things, but not really suffering, just, in, just experiencing the loss of all things, counting them as loss, counting them as done. A deliberate mental decision that that's nothing. I want to know Christ. And Jesus puts it in a, in a similarly picturesque way. What does he say? We've seen this again and again. If anyone wants to come after me, deny himself, pick up his cross. Deny himself, die, follow me. That's what saving faith involves, you see. So God's witness points us to Jesus Christ. Never forget this. In your own testimony as a Christian, never forget this. Some, some are fond of using the law to point people and to show them they're sinners. That's fine, but don't ever forget that the whole point of that is to show them they need Christ. The point is not to make them feel guilty and leave them feeling guilty. It's to show, look, if you hope that you're acceptable with God because of you're a fine person, you're not as bad as that guy, you're not all that bad, look at the law. The law will tell you the truth. You're bad. You're a sinner. You're lost, just like me. And that's why we need Christ. That's why we need a Savior, not just a teacher, not just an example, not even just a leader. We need a Savior. And that is, and only is, and sufficiently is, Jesus Christ. And you tell your testimony. Well, maybe you were saved from a dark, dramatic background in drugs and who knows what. Well, praise the Lord for saving you. But remember, the point of the testimony is the Lord saves sinners. Make sure that Jesus comes out the hero. How many of you have heard testimonies where at the end you're not sure whether Jesus is the hero or not? Kind of sounds like the person talking. That's not a good testimony. Not a good gospel testimony at any rate. Testimony, preaching, evangelism, the whole point of all of it is to point to Christ because that's where salvation is. Got to know the facts. Got to believe the facts are true. Got to rest on Jesus Christ, you see. So never forget this. I, I tell you, this is why I'm uncomfortable. Whenever I hear somebody say something that, like for instance, well, you know, if somebody would just believe that Jesus rose from the dead, he'd be saved. Well, do you need to believe that Jesus rose from the dead to be saved? Yeah. But can the gospel really be reduced to, well, if somebody will just sign off on this one statement of truth, he's saved? No. No. You've got to believe that, but that's not everything. Even if listing a whole bunch of that's, that's all about the sec, what, we, what we call recognizing. But it's not resting. It's not just that I believe truths about Christ. What is it? It's that I believe Christ. The Christ those truths describe. That I embrace him. That I rest on him. And, and I've asked people to tell me about their Christian testimony. And I, and I hear 5, 10, 15 minutes. And I've hardly heard Christ mentioned. And that, that always worries me. If a testimony doesn't end up being all about Christ, I'm not sure it's a testimony because Christ saves. Christ saves. Only Christ saves. So there we see it. And I want to say, in bringing this to a close, and I want to make this very clear, faith does not save. Faith does not save. Faith has no power. Simply having faith is not a saving virtue or grace. It's Christ who saves, and we know Christ by faith. Christ saves, and faith embraces Christ and receives that salvation. But faith is only as good as what? 
the object it attaches itself to. And faith is only saving faith. Faith is only saving faith if it rests on Christ. So, Christ is offered to us in God's witness, the word of truth, the gospel. And we recognize the truths of Christ as God witnesses to them in the Bible. We realize that they are in fact true as God witnesses to these truths in the Bible. And we rest on those truths depending on Christ as presented in Scripture and Christ alone to save us and to be our Lord. That is what saving biblical faith is. That's the definition of faith. Just one question. Do you have that faith? Does your faith look to Jesus Christ as he's presented in Scripture alone? If you'd like to learn more about that, talk more about that, I'd love to help you. Because I preach Jesus Christ as Lord and myself as your servant for Jesus' sake. Let us close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the power and clarity of your word. We thank you for the life-giving ministry of your spirit. We pray that the Spirit of God who blows where He wills will today, if there's one who's walked in not knowing Jesus Christ, that He will give life to that person, sight to those blind eyes, hearing to those deaf ears, that He may see Jesus Christ as He's presented, that she may trust in Christ and rest His faith in Christ alone and begin that new life in Jesus Christ. And for all whose faith is weak or has been Uh, wobbly. We pray, Father, the Spirit of God will use this time in your word to strengthen and correctly aim and correctly ground that faith to give the confidence and the boldness, the hope and the joy that saving biblical faith brings because your word is true, because Christ is Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us all stand and sing our final hymn, which is titled, Father of Jesus Christ, my Lord. We'll sing it to the familiar tune of Jesus, the very thought of thee, which is in 